Uh, we are beginning a new uh, series, I guess. We're going to start through the book of Acts. The, we, uh, it took us two years to get through John, so I'm just kind of estimating that it might take us two years to get through the book of Acts, um, I, I'm guessing. Uh, I really don't know. We'll, we'll see how that works out as we go along. Uh, my plan for the book of Acts, just so you guys know, is as we go through it, stopping and taking time to focus on some of the things that they, that, that, that's demonstrated there. For example, you see the Holy Spirit work in people's lives and empower them and, and gift them to do certain things. And so we'll talk, we'll stop and talk about spiritual gifting and, and, and how we determine what our gifts are and how we might serve and how we might, might work in the Spirit. And so we'll talk about those things. We'll deal with all kinds of different subjects as we go through. Um, you'll you'll um, maybe be challenged or, or um, confirmed in maybe your view of the speaking of tongues and and the way the Holy Spirit empowers people to speak in languages that they don't know. Whether you'll, you'll be challenged to to think about how leadership happens in the church. There's a lot of practical things that come out of the book of Acts that we, that we can find demonstrated there, and so we'll deal with those things as we go through. But the book of Acts is not first and foremost a, a practical lesson. It's not, it is a history of where the early church started. It, it, it does demonstrate for us where the foundations of the church were laid. We see Jesus, the cornerstone, start a work, and, and he began a work with these, these, these 12 guys and this, this group around them, and out of that, the foundation was built. Jesus Christ, the cornerstone, the apostles, the foundation, and out of that, this, this, this building, this, this spiritual building, as Peter calls it, has been built and, and laid upon, found, upon the foundation and layer upon layer upon layer to the point that now we are part of that work, standing here, sitting here, gathering here today to worship Jesus. But in all of that, in, in everything that we can learn, I, I, I want us to be careful as we approach this. Because as we come to Scripture, I don't ever want us coming to Scripture looking for it to justify us. Looking for it to say, to, so, so that we can feel good about what we do and how we act. There, there is practical lessons there in that. But first and foremost, the book of Acts is a continuation of the story of the work that Jesus Christ began. It is, a, it is an ongoing story. Jesus Christ came. He lived his life. He, he, he paid this price for sin on the cross. But his work didn't stop there. And as Luke begins to write this book of Acts and this history of the church, we see Christ and his work continue. And so as we do this, the hero of, the, the hero of these stories, the hero of this book, it's, it's not first and foremost Peter and Paul, which they're the the two main figures that we see, the, the two main people in the book reaching out and, and spreading the gospel. But the, the, the hero, the, the focus is God, His Son and the Holy Spirit bringing the gospel and moving it forward. And, and, and that's what we see is the gospel starts in this central place, this, this, this centralized point, and it spreads out from there. It's much like, much like the, the ripples of water if you were to throw a, a rock into a lake. You know, that central point, there, there's the splash. And out from that, the ripples just carry. And they just continue to carry. And now we get to be a part of those ripples in that lake. We get to experience that. And from us, we get to see the ripples flow out. So we're a part of that story, and that's the focus. That's, it, it's always going to be about Jesus. It's always going to be looking back into the work to see Jesus, to see, to see the Spirit reminding us of Jesus. That's what Jesus said the Spirit's job was. 
Jesus said, he's going to come, he's going to comfort, he's going to counsel, and he's going to remind you about me. And as we look at Jesus, we see God the Father. Jesus says, if you know me, you know the Father, you know God. So that's what we want to do. We want to look back into the work, we want to look back into the story, and we want to learn the practical lessons. But more importantly, I want you to see Jesus. So that's the point of this. That's why we're doing it. And over and over, some things that we'll, that we'll deal with, and it's the, really the points of the message today, is we'll look at the proof. The proof that Jesus Christ was God and He's alive. He did this. He showed this proof. He demonstrated this evidence to us. We'll look at the power that, that enabled these men and women to live these lives that made an, an eternal impact on the world around them. We'll talk about the priority, the, 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 the emphasis, the priority, the, the focus of their lives, and we'll look at the promises that have been made, all focusing on Jesus. And so let's just jump right in. Let's get right to it. Um, last week, I, I uh, went long enough that we didn't get to sing our way out of here, and, and I'm not going to cut Brent short again. Um, so I'm going to speak fast, if you'll listen fast, and, and we'll get through this. Let's pray real quick before we read the Word. Father, we do thank you so much that you inspired men to write these words, that you have protected it through the ages, that even through translation and, and, and interpretation, God, that, that maybe we can get some things wrong and we can miss some points, but that your truth still shines through. I thank you that we can learn from it. I thank you that, that, that you change us through it, that you, that you use it to sanctify us and cleanse us, to remove sin. I thank you, Father, that, that, you, um, that, that most of all, you reveal yourself to us through it. And we can see you and you see and adore you and, and be in awe of you. And I thank you that, um, that in it, your Son is lifted up and we can see him. And I thank you that in it, we, we, we see the promise and the power spilled out on us by your Spirit. I pray, God, that you would just uh, be with us today as we read, as I speak. I pray, God, that you would use this to, to prepare us, empower us, and help us to keep our focus. It's all these things on, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're just going to jump right in. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. Um, this is special to me because, as I shared the last two weeks, the, the vision of the church, the Lord really began to do this work in my life well before we ever even met with the first group of people, well before we were even talking about it out loud. And as I shared last week, there's a lot of things that through the Scripture that the Lord built this vision and, and brought specificity to it. He really put the sheetrock on the walls of these, the, these bare walls, and then he, he had, hung some pictures, you know, and, and really made it beautiful. And so as we do this, as we go through this, for me this is special because it was in this book that there was a lot of things that the Lord showed me about what a church was meant to be and what he was meaning to do. And today I think you'll see some of that. Well, let's just pick it up in chapter 1, verse 1. In this first book, O Theophilus, or in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, 
appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And let's just hold up right there. This book, it's a continuation immediately in this first verse in this book. We see this is a sequel to an ongoing story. This is Jesus Christ's work, the work that he began, the work that he lived for, the work that he poured into these guys, the work that that he demonstrated to them, that he taught them about, all of this work. This is his work continued. This isn't some some other story. This isn't some other time in in, in life. It's not as if all of a sudden God did Jesus and then now God's going to do church. In fact, without Jesus, the church would be nothing. If, if, if it wasn't a story that came out of Christ, it would be something we made up. And so this is an ongoing story. It's the sequel to, to all that Jesus began to do. And so as you, as you look at this, this is, I mean, imagine, it's, it's not as if, if um, God came down and, and, and Jesus did his work, and then I'm done with that, and now I'm going to decide to work through men and do something totally different. It's not as if God in this moment decides to save people. Even before Christ, God was saving people. He was, he was bringing people to his knowledge or to knowledge of him, and he was revealing himself to people even before Christ. You see, in the book of Acts, what we have is we have God's light shining from the point of origin, from the point of creation, towards the time when Jesus would come. We have Jesus' life on the earth. God came here. He put on flesh. He lived among us. He dwelt among us. And, and that light from, from the very beginning shined toward Jesus, t- towards that time when, when God would come and put on flesh. And out of that now, we have the book of Acts. And we have the story that we live in. Because in this time, in, in that time, this is the time where now the light shines out from Jesus' life. The shine, light shines out from the gospel and now shines on into the future. You see, this is the continuation. This is, this is God's plan being revealed. This is God's work just continuing to flow throughout the course of time, throughout the course of history. And if you wanted to look at it as in, a, in the sense of a timeline, God did work. He created. His plan was to create. And He did. His plan was to redeem. It wasn't as if He came to this place and said, oh, they screwed it up. Now plan B. Plan A always was create, redeem, restore. He always knew these things were going to happen. Acts, it's just another step along that plan A. Plan A, step one, create and leave it as it, have it set up as it was intended to be. Plan A, step two, interact with people, allow them to be tempted, give them commands. Plan A, step two, begin the work of redemption after they fall and after they disobey. Plan A, step two, A, you know, you get into all these subcategories, and now all of a sudden in this timeline, we, we have this, this work that God began to do in the world. Immediately, as soon as mankind fell, He began to work. And, and, and he's, He makes a promise of redemption immediately. He begins to reveal Himself to people and make covenants with people, enter into contracts with people. And engage them, and, and, and he chooses a people. He chooses a man to be the father of a nation that he would choose. And he, he reveals to them a law. And he says, this is what it looks like to be perfect. This is what it looks like to be my people. Nobody can measure up. Everyone failed. But God always knew that was the case. And along that timeline, he, he sends his son to pay the price and and do the work that we couldn't do for ourselves. Plan A, step two, maybe letter D or F, you know, is is, as Jesus pays the price on the cross, 
He, he does the work that we couldn't do for ourselves. He takes God's wrath on himself. And then he ascends into heaven. And he goes to be with the Father. But he says in John, he tells us, I didn't go to leave you as orphans. I'm not leaving you by yourself. You are not going to be alone. But I'm going to send another. Another counselor. Another helper. And the Holy Spirit comes. This is all part of the plan. This is all the same work that God has been doing from the very beginning. It's, it's, it's all part of the same process of His redemption working towards His restoration. And today we stand in the midst of this plan. And we can look back on this book of Acts and we can see it. And we can see that we are a part of this work. And it started right here with Jesus Christ. Him crucified. And He then begins to show them proof. He begins to show them evidence. I mean, we, act, we deal with questions like this all the time. Why in the world didn't this, this work that He began, why in the world didn't it stop with him. When he left the earth, why didn't it end? When he died on the cross, why wasn't it finished? When, when Jesus hung on that cross and was arrested by, those, by the Romans and hung on that cross, why wasn't that it? Why didn't these guys who were fishermen and tax collectors and just regular Joes, why didn't they just go about their business? Why didn't they return to their work that they were already doing? Why is it that we still celebrate this today? How, how is it that it lasted? And the answer to those all, it's, it, I, I think it's demonstrated in verse 3. Because Jesus presented them with proofs. You see, we, we've been going through this study. Let me just use this as an example. We've been going through this book study uh, called The Reason for God in our, in our community groups. And in that study, Tim Keller, the guy who wrote the book, points out that there's no irrefutable argument or evidence that can be presented that will just give an ironclad argument for the existence of God. That every argument we can devise, everything that we can say, can be refuted by people and, and, and they can make an argument against it. And I think that's true because our walk is not by sight, our walk is by faith. In fact, that's what the scripture teaches us. The righteous shall live by faith. Your walk is by faith, not by sight. That's what the Bible teaches. We don't have a solid, tangible thing that we can hold on to and say, there he is. We don't have Christ in the flesh on the earth walking around doing these amazing miracles and saying, oh, God exists. We have all kinds of evidence. We have all kinds of things that we can point to that we know, that we know in our experience with God that he exists. But we can't convince the whole world of that by the evidence we have. However, here in this passage, the, the intent, the, the, intent the, the, the meaning behind this, that he... <clears throat> I'm sorry, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs. It points out the fact that these men's lives were changed drastically because they saw Jesus in the flesh, and he convinced them. He gave them 100% assurance that he was God and he was alive. They left their, their, their ways of life. They, they gave up everything not to worship a dead guy in the ground, not to follow after his teachings, not to push forward and actually die horrible, horrendous deaths because this guy was dead in the ground, but because he convinced them through many proofs that he was alive. And today, I mean, the reason we're worshiping him today is because Jesus Christ was alive. 
Now, I, I, we worship him not just as some good teacher or some, or some nice guy that lived. You know? We don't look at him as just some simple, simple guy that lived and was peaceful with, with other people. We don't look at him as, as just some prophet that had good things to say. I mean, if that was the case, then, then yeah, he, would be, he might be remembered like Buddha or Muhammad. You know, those were good guys, and they have big followings, and people, people listen to their teaching, and they, and they appreciate them, and they admire them for the, the, the way that they lived. But see, don't, we don't remember Jesus just as that guy. His followers know him to be something more than that. We know him to be the resurrected Lord. We know him to be God in flesh. We know him to be our creator and our savior. You see, the reason that Jesus wasn't relegated to the pages of history as some lunatic is because he proved to his disciples that he was alive and that through the power of the Spirit, he continues to convince people that he is the risen Lord, that he is alive. And that proof in your life, consider it. Oh, we can look out at the creation and we can see it screams for the, for the, for the, rea- for the reality that there is a creator. It's too, it's too uh, uh, detailed. It's, it's too specific. There's too much, too much creativity that would have required us to organize. It screams for the need of a creator. But our personal experiences with God, through Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, no one can take that from you. No one can deny that. You can't, you can't throw that away. You can't just toss it in the trash. You can't, you can't come up with some argument that, that, that undermines that. Because in you, as the Spirit reveals this truth, you become convinced of this, that Jesus Christ is Lord and that He's alive. He goes on, it goes on to teach and it says, and while they were staying, this is verse 4, and while they were staying with him, or with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. That's the promised Holy Spirit. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. You see, this, this, this moment, this, this change of focus, this, this work that was beginning out of what Jesus had done was about to involve them in a new way. They were about to become something more than just guys that followed Jesus. They were about to be more than just his sidekicks. They were going to become a central focus of his ministry. And he says, I've got something for you, but you need to wait in Jerusalem. You need to go to Jerusalem. You need to hang out. And then the Spirit's going to come. This thing that we've promised is going to come. He is going to immerse you in his power and presence. He says, John baptized with water but you're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a lot of misunderstanding about what that's about and what it is to be baptized in the Spirit. There's a lot of, I think, misinterpretation of that. Jesus here demonstrates the Spirit in line kind of with the, the, the picture of water baptism. 
And he said, you know, when we think about baptism, we've got this cultural conditioning that automatically we think about the preacher up front baptizing somebody. But the word really means immersion. It, it means being covered up, surrounded, engulfed. And when, when a person was baptized by John, that, that's what occurred. It, that, that, that's what happened. When we baptize people today and, and in that tradition, it, 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 that's what happens. They're covered up by water. They're totally surrounded by it. If they were to take a breath, it would drown them. But see, now, Jesus says, but, 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 but what's going to happen now? is you're going to be baptized, you're going to be immersed, you're going to be engulfed, you're going to be completely over, over, overridden, over, covered over by the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, this one that we've been promising. You need to wait for that. You need to wait for that because you're going to need that power. You're going to need that to move and live as I've called you to live. You're going to need that to be able to be the people I've called you to be. See, because... I don't want you to just go back to fishing. I don't want you to be tax collectors anymore. I don't want you fixing your your uncle's roof. I want you to be my witnesses. See, I've got a job for you, but you're going to need the power of the Spirit. And that's a pretty big call for those guys. That's a pretty, pretty amazing move for them. But as they stood there, I don't even think they got it. I don't think they understood it. Because they begin asking questions immediately and not listening to what he's saying. You see, and I think the problem is is that today we too often don't get it. We don't understand it. I mean, we can get together and we can put on a show. We, we, We can have a show. Branson proves that mankind in their own power and in their own ability can put on a show. I mean, they're good enough that people travel from all around the country. They may not be your style. They're not mine. But they're good enough that people travel from all around the country, spend big money to go to these shows. We can put on a show. We can put on programs. We can assemble programs and, and attract people with programs. We, 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 can, we can, you know, um, go out and pick up kids in the neighborhood and, and bring them here to our children's program. We can do that. We can fill this room up. We can, we can line out another hundred chairs on either side of this room and, and fill this room up by attracting people with this, with this show and with the program. We can do all kinds of social justice works. We can go out into, our neighbor, into this neighborhood. We can rake leaves. We can, we can shovel driveways. We can, we can feed the hungry. We can work in, in, in Victory Mission. We can help in a food bank. We can, we can do enough things that it makes Mother Teresa look like she didn't care. You know, she was, a, she was a woman who lived for mercy ministry. We could do enough that it would make it, just in comparison, it looked like she didn't even care. We can do that in our own power. And in many cases, I'm afraid that the church today lives in that place, in their own power. Now, I'm not against having lasers and smoke and, and lights. I'm, I, it kind of excites me. I'm not going to spend the money on it. I don't, I don't, we don't have the money to spend on that stuff. But I can tell you this. If, if when we gather, if when, when we come together, there's only lights and smoke, 
That lasts for about an hour and a half. If when we come together, all it is is a program, all it is is methodology, oh, Financial Peace University will teach you how to use your money. Hey, it's a good program. Don't get me wrong. It's a great program. But if all it is is just to, to help you in life and make you feel good about how you spend your money and the things that you do, it lasts about as long as you remember the teachings of that program. You see, if all it is is us getting together and doing good deeds, we're not going to make a difference in our culture. It's really not going to do anything in our lives. We're going to be able to pat ourselves on the back and tell people what good people we are. We'll be able to, we'll be able to, to, to walk up to one another and say, hmm, man, we really do a lot of good things. That Christmas family, we just tell, boy, they, we bless them. If all it is is social justice, what happens when we walk away? You see, he told them to wait because they needed power for his mission. And we need power for his mission. And the Holy Spirit that came and baptized them now lives in us. And we need his power. Because that smoke and, and, and lights and lasers isn't anything compared to the power of God in you. The program that you can develop and, and the ways that you can engage people and the ministry that you can do is meaningless without the power. But as we live in, in tune with the Spirit, as we walk with Him, the, the love and the joy and the peace and the patience and the kindness and the goodness and the gentleness and all of the fruits of the Spirit become evident in us, and it makes a difference. Not just for an hour or two, but for all eternity. And the legacy that would follow after us, if, if, if Jesus tarries for another 2,000 years, would still be there. And that ripple that started because of the work that He did in your life would be carrying on, causing ripples. It'd just be flowing out. But it's not based on you and your power and your ability. It's based on the Spirit in you. See, Jesus wanted them to get this. He wanted them, them to understand this. You need my power. You need me to work in you and through you. So wait. Wait at Jerusalem until you're, until you're baptized by the Spirit. Wait in, in, in that moment. And I don't think it's time for us to wait. You see, they had to wait because the Spirit hadn't come in that way yet. The Spirit was, was always at work. God, the Holy Spirit, has existed since the creation, since, since the beginning of time, since before the beginning of time. God has always been a triune God. But it wasn't until a time, about 50 days after Jesus' crucifixion, about 10 days after Jesus went back into heaven, it wasn't until that time that the Holy Spirit became so personal and intimate that He baptized them, He immersed them, and that he lived in them. And he affected creation. He affected people before. He enlightened people before. But now his, his, his presence, his power is in us. It dwells in us. That's his promise. And that's what's going to make us effective. That's what's going to make the difference. 
they missed it. And they began to ask questions. Well, okay, okay, Jesus, uh, we, we get you. We're going to go back to Jerusalem and wait. Is, is now the time that you're going to restore Israel? You see their priority? The, the, the thoughts about why he was proving this and, and what his power to, was to be used for, their priority was restoring Israel was making Israel a, a nation to be known again. A, a nation among nations that was looked at and thought, thought of highly. Are you now going to restore the nation of Israel? Is it time for that? And immediately, you know what he says? He kind of gets on to them. That's not for you to know. It's not for you to know the dates and times that the Father has set. They had their eyes on the wrong priority. You know, there's a movement in our churches today to, to pick that time in which Jesus is going to come back. There's a movement in our churches today that, that's all about, hey, all we do is talk about the, the return of Christ. And, and don't hear me wrong. I want Jesus to come back. I can't wait for Christ to come back. But until He comes, it's not my job to name the day. It's not my job to figure out when that judgment's coming. There's a, in fact, there's a group that was... And put out a report. It was on MSN. I got an email from my wife. Somebody at her work um, had, had asked her about this. They were like, hey, I don't get this. What's this about? Where's the proof of this? And the article said that, that this group is, is publishing based on all of their code and all of their, all of their looking into Scripture that they have determined that Judgment Day is coming May 21st of this year. It's this year. It's crazy. And they know it. And October 21st is the end of the world. I don't know who they're talking to, but the Mayans said it's 2012. <laughs> and if I'm going to go with anybody, I'm going with the Mayans. I make a joke about that, but I mean, seriously, really? Where, where do you get that? By, 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 by what authority can you say that? Because when these disciples, the ones that walked with Jesus, that knew Jesus' plan, and knew what He wanted to do, as, as they had the wrong priority, as they had their eyes fixed on the wrong thing, He says, no, that's not for you to worry about. But you, forget about that. You, be my witnesses. You, be my witnesses. You see, that was the priority that's what he wanted them to do. That was the mission. That was the job. That's what the book of Acts is all about. It's them acting in this way and living in this mission that Jesus Christ had given them to do. Not naming the date when he was going to come back. I'm sure they were anxious for it. Read the writings of the New Testament. They wanted it. They longed for it. But they were living as witnesses. What's it mean to be a witness? means that you have to experience Him, that, that you have to know Him, that, that, that you have to be a part of, of, of living in, in Him and with Him. And it comes through stepping into faith and, and knowing Jesus to be Savior and Lord. It, it comes by knowing who God is through His Word. Being a witness means that at some level you have experienced Him, that you've seen Him, that you know Him. And that's what these guys were. They had, they had spent three years being prepared for this. For this for this very moment, excuse me. They'd been being made ready all along. So here they were, having their priority changed. It's not about Israel. I, my plan is not for just this small group of people. 
He says, you're going to take my truth to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to where? The ends of the earth. See, that's the priority. Is that this gospel message isn't meant to be stagnant. It's not meant to stop. This gospel message wants to move. This gospel message is meant to move. You're to be my witnesses. You're to carry it forward. You're to move forward with it. You're to teach people about it. As you experience me, he says, as you know me and have my power, you're to take it with you. And you're to teach people about it. You're to reveal it to people. You're to share with them what I'm about and who I am and how I reveal the Father. You're to tell them about what the Spirit does. You are my witnesses. You see, they had missed the priority. But Jesus had shown them again what it was about, what the mission was. And he comes to this place. This thing's going to fall over on me. He comes to this place where he rises up. Verse 9. It says, and when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Don't stand there looking into the sky. Why are you standing there looking in the clouds? He's going to come back. And that's the promise. That's the promise of this, of this book. That's the promise of the life of Christ and the gospel message. And the promise that rings throughout this book as His people continued to work and they did this work for His purpose and in His means and by His choice and by His decree because the plan was always to come back and make things new. You see, Jesus, He went into heaven, and, and, and they could have stood... I, I mean, imagine this. These disciples, they had been on a roller coaster ride for about, for, for, for about a month and a half, a little over a month. They had seen this guy that they followed for years. They had seen Him arrested and crucified. This guy that they thought, man, He's the Messiah. We, we know this is the truth, and we're going to follow Him. They'd seen him arrested and crucified, and they're sad. They're upset. They're confused and scared. And Jesus didn't stay dead. And all of a sudden they have him back, and, and he's proven to them. I mean, consider the, 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 the evidence that they, that they experienced. Consider the things that they saw. The, the women at the grave, the morning that Jesus came, came back to life, the, the morning that He rose from the grave, the women go and there's an empty tomb. And they run back and they tell the disciples. And Peter and John, they run there. Oh man, what did they do with the body? And they get there and they see evidence. The body wasn't stolen. That He was alive. And there's two guys, two of them, two of these disciples are walking on the road to Emmaus. And Jesus, they, they don't even recognize Him at first. He begins to walk along with them and teach them and tell them about the Scriptures and, and tell them about Himself being revealed in the Scriptures 
And they get to this place where they're going. They get to Emmaus and, and they're sitting and they're having dinner. And, and Jesus opens their eyes and suddenly they see it's Him. And it's like, whoa! Weren't our hearts burning within us? And immediately, I mean, it's dark, it's night. They couldn't climb into their car. They couldn't, they couldn't run their flashlights in front of them as they run back. But immediately they were so struck, they were so moved, they got up and they ran back to Jerusalem and they went to the disciples and they said, we saw Him. Peter was right. He's alive. Imagine to, to feel that joy, to feel that excitement, and then be standing on that hill and seeing Him go up and, and seeing Him rise up into the heavens. I mean, I could see us standing there looking into... I, I, I could see myself right there with Him. But wait a minute. The priority is not to sit and look into the sky. The priority is not to try and pin down the day that he's come back. The priority is to be the witness. As you go, you have the power of the Spirit within you. And you have His Word. And you have 2,000 years worth of evidence to prove that Jesus Christ is the risen Lord. And your priority, our priority, my priority, is as I go to my job, to, 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 to the grocery store, into this neighborhood, and dealing with the people that we interact with on a weekly basis at this school, is to be a witness. To share with others what I have experienced in Him. You don't need a seminary degree. You don't, need a, you, you, you don't need years of training. If you are a believer, you have something to share. Jesus Christ saved you. He will justify you. He will sanctify you. And in the end, He will lift you up and glorify you. Oh, we sung a song about that. You know why? Because this, this, what we do every week, this is part of the mission. Believe it, or, believe it or not, a mission is not just going out and being an evangelist. The mission of God started at creation. Remember, we talked about that at the beginning. It's, it started at creation. And His plan was always to redeem and restore. Nothing caught Him off guard. He wasn't caught by surprise when mankind fell. and He didn't have to scramble and come up with something else. This is the mission of God to redeem a people for himself and one day restore them. Create, redeem, restore, make new. This, we gather every week, this is part of the mission. This is part of where we spend time experiencing God together. Where we, where we come together and are challenged, where we're taught, where, where we gather together and adore Him and a great love is built for Him. When you come here, the songs that Brent writes and the, and the songs that he chooses to sing, maybe they're not your, your musical choice. Maybe, maybe you don't go home and, and, and turn on the radio and, and listen to the style of music that we sing. Maybe you didn't grow up in a church that sings music the way we do. But the words, the depth of theology and, and, and the picture of God that is presented there, I don't know of many churches that take the time and trouble 
to ensure that they and, and desire the accuracy, the desire to to make sure that God and Him, uh, His truth in, in, in His entirety is proclaimed. See, there's a great love for those for, for Him. There's a great desire to present Him accurately in our music. And whether you realize it or not, you're learning. Many of the songs that he writes, that's just scripture put to music. There's a song, there's a song, I don't remember the name of it, he could tell you, but there's a song that at one point where he's talking about God's sovereignty and, and how the nations try to overthrow him and God sits on his throne and laughs. And there's a part of me that wants to struggle against that, but you realize that's in the, that's, that's in the scripture, it's in Psalms. He sits on his throne and laughs. God's not being harsh. He's not hateful. He's not vindictive. But he recognizes that we're just arrogant little beings trying to overthrow him. In the sermons, I want you to be convicted of sin. I want you to learn theology. I want you to get a deep understanding of God's word. But you know more than any of that, what I want to to do in these sermons is to exalt Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior so that in you, you develop a deep love for him that you fall so madly and deeply in love for Him that your whole life is turned upside down because you want to live for Him and with Him. That you want nothing else before Him. This is part of the mission. God's mission is to sanctify and to justify. And He's sanctifying you here. And it's here that you'll, get, you'll, you'll gather this ability and this understanding as, as we gather together to prepare you and equip you to be His witnesses as you go where you go. See, this is part of the mission. The ministries that we'll do are part of the mission. The, mission, the, the mercy ministries that, that we strive for, that, that we try to demonstrate in a, in a tangible and real way. The love of Christ, that's part of the mission. And as we do those things, we must share the word. It must exit our mouth. We must tell people about Jesus. We must let them know who he is. We must let them know that that they need him desperately and without him, there is no hope. See, that's the mission. And all of this, all of this rings so true when you remember the promise. You're not left alone. You're not forgotten. And if he went away to prepare a place, we know that he's coming back. That's the promise. Until the day he does, he's given us power to live for his priorities and reveal his proofs. Let's pray.